Hey guys, and welcome to today's episode of Give It The Beans. At this time of recording, um, we found out pretty much a couple of days ago the um, the route map out of lockdown. Um, I think that people down in England um, got a lot more sort of clarity and definitive dates on when they'll be open, whereas in Scotland, um, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you're probably still wondering, what the fuck? Because <laughs> um, there was a lack of clarity. It was more kind of like, yeah, well, maybe by the end of April, we'll maybe be back in the tiers, um, tier systems, which inevitably, e- either way to look at it, we're all pretty much, uh, the gyms aren't opening now for um, another sort of six to eight weeks, wherever you are. But uh, you know, I think it's pretty good to have a, a little bit of a, of an end date, right? I mean, for so long, um, I don't know about yourself, um, but, you know, I work with a lot of clients who are just getting fed up with it kind of getting dragged on and dragged on um, and, and just kind of feeling even worse than they were in the first lockdown because it's been winter. Um, I mean, now the, the, the sort of the weather's turning, um, but just getting really fed up with it all. So I think that it's given um, quite a lot of people a little bit of hope now. Maybe it's perhaps kick-started them um, back into the routine for those that were sort of on the fence about dieting for shows. Uh, we've had confirmation from uh, pretty much the main runners, uh, you know, two bros, PCA and whatnot, that all those shows are gone. You know, there's going to be sort of bodybuilding history made here with the first show technically in an outdoor marquee uh, ever, as far as I'm aware, um, in the UK. So that'll be epic, although I've not got any clients doing it, I think is really cool. And, and hats off to to, ever, to to Ian and everyone at Two Bros um, for, for sort of putting that together. I think it's it gives given been, been given athletes a lot of hope. And the ones that were dieting for the April shows, the May shows, uh, they, you know, they're all going ahead. Um, and they've actually moved to Ben Weeder to a bit later, which which has meant a couple of my clients can jump in and do it, um, which is class because some of the international sort of pro qualifiers have been moved. Um, a lot of them that were sort of taking place in sort of Spain and Portugal are now being sort of moved and, and now taking place in the likes of sort of um, France um, and, and, and sort of across Scandinavia as well. So, um, yeah, I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm excited. It's at that point, like a lot of people at that point in prep where like things need to happen quickly. Like we have targets each week and we're trying to hit them and they've been hitting them consistently, consistently, consistently for the past few weeks. And yeah, I just if you're not a coach, you you're really going to struggle to resonate with it, and um, just how exciting it is, just at the other end of the laptop, the phone, and just seeing like you make a change, and then you know a few days later you see the response that you were you were looking for, um, it's absolutely epic. And then of course just helping helping someone make their sort of dream come true, whether that's competing for the first time or whether that's coming back, um, and you know improving on their their physique last time, improving on their placing or whatever it is. Uh, it's truly epic, and I'm, I'm always grateful to be part of um, each and everyone's uh, journey. Whether that you whether they're at the start, and I know they've got two or three years to the stage, or whether they are, you know, for example, like Clara, who is now going to be in our third season. We're in our third season working together. I still remember our first show. Uh, I still remember sitting on the beach in Santorini, um, messing her back and forth about what to do with her food, trying to calm her down. Um, to now, you know, entering our third season where it's completely different, but. It's uh, to see to see that progression that that change um, over the years is uh, is truly um, just just so so awesome to be part of. Um, I think the amount of joy and fulfillment that us coaches get from being part of our clients' journey is something that we truly do put, uh, struggle to put into words. I know I know I for sure do. But um, you know that was a massive ramble there. But pretty much saying that you know it's epic that we do have a date to work for in sight um, for myself and for 
Finale, that'll mean another another eight weeks of training from the, the garage gains. Uh, but if I'm honest, I think probably going to prep for the most part from that facility, um, especially with some of the equipment we have coming along. If you um, if you want to know a bit more about that, just head over to YouTube, uh, check out my uh, latest uh, episode, of the new vlog series called The Beans, um, and let me know what you think. So the the purpose of today's uh, podcast, today's episode, is to just discuss. Um, sort of train to failure and and is it needed do you perhaps need to train to failure um you know what's the evidence if uh, for for those out there that maybe perhaps don't but still change their physique and just a little bit of discussion on that sort of whole topic so one thing you'll see from from myself from Ali from Clara and, and kind of from all the athletes um at Vido Physique is that they all train really hard, and as us coaches, we, we try and place an emphasis on wherever possible training to, you know, muscular mechanical failure, whichever one you want to call it. Um, especially like if it's safe to do so. If it's not safe to do so, like for example, a barbell squat, um, I wouldn't say that's a safe move um, to go to failure. But something like a V squat, a hack squat, um, maybe even a pendulum. If you've got a good spotter there, it's uh, it's perfectly okay and safe in my opinion to go to. So, kind of, what does that mean, mechanical muscular failure? Just referring to taking yourself to the point at which your muscles, your nervous system are just so fatigued and they just cannot generate any any more force, muscle contraction to move the, the load, the resistance that you are lifting. Um, this, is, this is what many will say, or many call, you know, giving it the beans, as, uh, <laughs> as, as, as I always say. Um, however, I think that like especially when new clients come on board with myself or the team, that, that this whole concept can seem really quite strange and alien to them is because they've maybe never trained in this way. You know, they may be trained a lot of the time submaximally, and you know, okay, you're probably thinking, well, what does that mean? So let's say for example, they maybe before coming on board, they used to do four sets of ten. So their first set, they pick up a weight. They do 10 reps and, you know, it was all right, but they maybe could have done an extra sort of five or six if they wanted to. Uh, that's what we call submaximally. Maybe the second set, they pick the same weight up, they do 10 reps again, they maybe could have got 14. The third set, they pick it up, they get they, you know, they do 10, they maybe could have got maybe could have got 11. That last set, they, they do 10 and they just get 10 um, and they couldn't get any more. Really, that in, in those whole four sets, what I would say is the first three are very much fluff work. And uh, that, that last one is, is a sort of training to failure, um, where, whereas by they could have picked up a heavier weight and just went for, you know, a couple of less less sets. But I'll get to that in a second. So before, you know, before we get into it, you need to kind of have a think of what is, what's the aim when when lifting? Um, you know, what are we trying to do before we are, we're trying to answer the question of whether we're, we're training to failure, you know, if it's needed? Like, what's our first key aim when when lifting weights, so if you've if you follow me for a while, um, it's more than likely that your your goal is to add muscle mass to your frame, just continually improve your your physique uh, week in week out. Um, how we do this, obviously in the gym, busting our ass, lifting weights, and, and as we're lifting, we're we're trying to recruit as many individual muscle fibers as possible in that target muscle group on any given exercise. And again, that, even that thought process alone can seem really alien to someone when they first come on board. So this is why I often drive them to the YouTube channel to watch the tutorials to, to then have me and Ali or Clara saying, right, 
listen, in this position, I want you to think about, you know, mind-to-muscle connection, initiate that muscle. If you don't know what that means, it's just like turn it on. And then after you've turned it on, just keep tension in there throughout the lift or perhaps at different parts of, of the lift in different parts of your body. So you might be thinking, you know, why why would you be doing that? Why, why are you thinking about doing that? So if we train with intent of, you know, initiate here, tension there, etc., etc., we're going to, as I said, recruit as many muscle fibers as possible. And in doing that, we're going to break a lot of muscle fibers down. Now, that is exactly what we're trying to do in the gym because in turn, the more we break down, you know, the more of a an adaptive response we'll get uh, with the gym if our nutrition's on point. Now, that adaptive response is, you know, muscle growth itself controlled by our, you know, the mTOR pathway, which I often say um, is the, the muscle building pathway. And, and this is where I would say that training to failure comes in comes into play because it's going to have the biggest impact on that pathway itself. So if I could summarize kind of what I just said, it would be that training to failure is going to allow us to have the biggest influence on the muscle building pathway itself. Now, if we, what we should probably do is like look at, look at an example. And in fact, let's, uh, let's look at two, two different scenarios in the same example. Uh, maybe, maybe perhaps on, on a leg extension. And from, from these examples, from these scenarios, I want you to try and come up in your mind with which one you think is going to have the biggest effect on on uh, on sort of muscle growth. And this is going to be really similar to the to what I said already before in regards to the four sets of 10, but I'll, I'll try and just break it down again, simplify it so you can go away with a little more, more understanding. So first scenario, you're going to leg extension, select a weight that's not too heavy. Um, you maybe move the pad up and down without any intent. You know, you perform 10 reps when you could actually at least have done another sort of like, let's say seven or eight more. Um, you then rest, you then you know, then perform another two sets this way, uh, equating to, to sort of three three total sets, but uh, they're all done sub submaximally. You know, have a think over it. How much of a stimulus are we providing to this sort of muscle building pathway? How much are we telling that muscle uh, to recruit fibers and break down and then ultimately grow? Uh, second scenario, you're on the leg extension. You select a weight that that you know you're strong enough to move, but you know that it's just going to be roughly about eight to ten reps. So, but you know, throughout each rep that you're doing, you're you're initiating with the quad, you're actively squeezing every possible muscle fiber that you can, just trying to generate as much tension as you possibly can. So you're doing this, and you get to sort of rep number nine, and you just physically cannot, you know, you get to that sort of mid range, you physically cannot lock at that leg, and you'd hit what we deem as sort of muscular failure. Um, you do you do that for one set, um, and then after that, you proceed to perform maybe a set that's this may be slightly higher reps, um, maybe perhaps you, rather than 8 to 10, you go for like a 12 to 15 with a rest pause or something like that. But same principle, you know, you're still thinking of giving it the big beans as you're doing it. Um, so, have a think of those two scenarios. One, the first one, three sets sub-maximally, no intent. Second one, two sets, all out effort. Which one is going to have the biggest impact on your ability to stimulate that muscle building pathway if your goal is to add muscle mass. I'm sure you've already worked out by now that it's going to be the latter, right? So thinking back to that sort of first scenario, um, you're not really providing the muscle fibers like with with enough of a reason to to recruit 
you know, as much as much as they, they possibly can. And actually, your body's an energy-conserving machine. It's going to try and do as little as possible and exert as little as possible force on anything, right? So we have to actively do that. So let's say, for example, um, we we just assume that that first scenario, you, you're getting maybe 50% muscle fiber recruitment in the quads. You know, that, that still leaves like 50% of muscle fibers that are sort of rested uh, and not worked. In comparison, I think in the second scenario, um, you know, maybe we just for argument's sake assume like we're able to recruit 90%. We're, we're maybe never going to get 100%, but I guarantee we're going to get quite close to that. So if we get 90% recruitment, it just leaves, leaves no question which approach would be more optimal. So from that sense, we say more stimulus equals more growth, equal training to failure is going to bring you more progress in and at the gym. Now, that's like three different examples I've tried, or three different ways I've tried to say it in. Um, the first one was just the four sets of 10, not quite as much detail. Those two different scenarios, I hope that it breaks it down into detail. Um, and you're able to just, just think of why we, we sort of preach it. Um, I guess another sort of important thing to note that you know, train to failure is just going to enable you to be really efficient and, and productive with your overall volume in the gym. You know, those, those examples I said, the first one was, uh, was four sets, then it was uh, three sets, and then the last one um, was two. So you know, the benefit is that um, it's two sets relative to the, to the three. Um, it doesn't mean you're not going to spend less time in the gym because ultimately I find that I rest quite a lot. Um, but you know, if you're let's say you're a female, um, and you, you know you you know as a female you can recover quicker, um, you might be able to to get in and out of the gym uh, that little bit little bit quick, quicker. So I guess that argument uh, that that kind of adds to this sort of um, or that could add to the to the low um, versus high volume debate. But uh, we're not going to get into that because um, that could be a that could be a whole. I mean, that could be a whole different episode, but I guess in, in a sense, this this episode will will talk about it a little bit. I'll, I'll get to that. Um, in fact, I should probably just probably just just address it right now because what what someone's thinking is they've just heard that scenario and they just went uh, Vaughn, but you know, Big Davy, Big Davy down the gym, he doesn't train to failure, and he's he's fucking massive. Um, and yeah, you might be right if you're. Wondering who Big Davy is? Um, it's just a persona I made up. Every every gym every gym has a Big Davy, right? They have a have a guy who is fairly big. He walks about usually in a really tight vest. He's often got maybe a little bit of a beer belly, a bit of a beer gut. He loves to eat D balls for breakfast. Uh, maybe tries to punt your gear and tells you that um, you know you need to be eating chicken and rice. You need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. Um, so that's that's often who I uh, who I'm saying uh, what I'm talking about if I say Big Davy. So. You might look at Big Davy and notice that he uh, he doesn't work to failure. You know, in, in fact, he just does uh, he just does high volume. You know, he just goes and exercises and he does fifteen to twenty reps. He's multiple sets. Um, he's big, so you know how how does that work? So if we look at training to failure, what I'm, I guess, or, or rather, just training in general. Um, for muscle growth, we're trying to hit different mechanisms for muscle growth. So, number one, um, 
you know, mechanical tension is going to be one of them that's going to help muscle growth. Number two, mechanical load, right? So increasing the load over time. And number three, metabolic stress, right? Metabolic stress, fancy word for pretty much just saying cellular swelling, uh, you know, high reps, low rest and, and a lot of pain. Uh, and that sort of process involves driving a lot of blood to the target muscle group and generating a lot of like metabolic waste products. And before you click off, just that's just like lactic acid through this sort of high reps. You know, as we produce um, like muscle contraction, we, we're we gonna, as, by, as a byproduct of that, we'll have carbon dioxide and stuff like lactic acid, stuff that just makes the muscle fatigue and makes it have an inability to um, contract. But that, that alone um, is, Going to provide a little bit of a stimulus for muscle growth, uh, but that overall response is so much lower than um, we would see if we we went we tried to you know train to failure and um, generate as much sort of uh, muscle damage as possible through like high loading. Um, however, uh, you know personally, I will still incorporate a, a little bit of high volume stuff in my uh, in my programming, but it's, it literally comprises such a small part. It'll maybe be like one set, one exercise, not on every single day. Um, so in that sense, if you know that it can cause a it can cause adaptive response versus where whereas I might do like um, whereas I might do 12 sets some ex- uh, some days, they might do 30, right? But they're doing 30, maybe 35 um, high rep stuff. so they're having to do more to get a to get a similar response. So you, you know don't be confused by by big Davy. Who's telling you that the bigger you are, that like the more you must train? You know, like as I'm as I'm uh, recording this, I'm sitting now at uh, two hundred ninety-two pounds, one hundred thirty-three kilos, um, and I've implemented a low-volume approach to get here. Um, I've, as I said before, I've I've not really done the high-volume approach for for a long time, and I'm at the biggest I've been in a while with my volume, probably been at its lowest. The only difference is I'll maybe have chucked in a I maybe increase overall volume on my biceps. If you're going to ask me why, it's because my biceps are shit. <laughs> um, but the the main sort of off-putting thing about training to failure failure is just the fact that it's hard. Now, that that's not for everyone. Not everyone wants to go and smash themselves to smithereens in the gym every time they're there. Um, but it's something that I have fall in love with and, and I'm not here to tell you that it's right or wrong how you train and how you perhaps should. I'm just here to tell you of the benefits of you know of training to failure. You make your mind up on whether you want to do it or not. I just for, for me it's it's probably the if I if I'm like in, in a set on like a hack so like a top set, it's probably the only time across the day that my brain switches off and, and I'm just in a moment that I cannot tell you what I'm thinking about apart from just pure internal focus on the task at hand. There's no worries, there's no stresses, it's just recruit this, get that on, come on, one more. You know, whatever the target is, um, I think you just kind of, I kind of go off in my own little world. Some people don't want to do that, and if you don't, I respect that. Um, you will get away with training higher volume. Um, it's, you know, there's plenty of coaches out there that will that will train higher volume, that will program higher volume, and will get... Um, and will get truly epic results. I mean, you just got to look at some of the biggest bodybuilders in the world. They, they don't really don't train like amateurs. But then I would say that they're so much bigger than amateurs that they have to do, they have to do a combination of quite high loading and then lots and lots of volume just to actually get that big or to, to maintain that size. Um, personally, myself and the people I work with, we are not trying to become, 
you know, pro bodybuilders, yeah, of course I want to be the best bodybuilder I can be, but I'm not trying to be, I mean, if you're probably listening to this and thinking, fuck, 130 kilos, 130 kilos is pretty big, but when I when I look at my physique um, in the classic division, that's where I want to stay. Um, if I was to go into class one, I would be, I'd be pretty small. So I'm not trying to get like that. My clients are, um, so it's why, which is why we don't train that way. The one thing I should probably address is the, um, is I guess scientific evidence. You know, you're you're going to get a bunch of, let's say, Doctor Karens out there. They're going to come at you. <clears throat> they're going to come at you with some studies, and they're going to be like, "Oh, did you know that you could still gain muscle while training submaximally?" You know, we we did this study, um, and it was on you know participants that were over the age of sixty that hadn't trained before, and then we actually uh, did this on the leg extension, and then, like, I, I hear that, and I, I can see right, okay, that is completely correct. Um, your evidence sort of support you know, supports that sort of higher volume approach and they're not having a trend to failure. But um, how I'm going to in- interpret those studies um, is a little bit differently than what they're trying to present. So myself, I am a, you know an assisted male bodybuilder. The clients I work with will be anywhere between the age of sort of 20 to 35, um, have trained for quite a, quite a long time. Um, so if that's the case, then how could that one study that is maybe perhaps looking at, let's say, you know, 50 to 60 year olds on a leg extension that have only been lifting for three months be applicable to myself and those, you know, my clients? It's, I mean, in that sense, there are, um, it's not, but it's not to say there aren't sort of like um, some amazing sort of science out there, scientists out there that are, that are into um, researching hypertrophy um, that, that I mean that are not trying to out train till failure they're maybe just trying to demonstrate that there's um, perhaps uh, other you know other ways that you can do it I just I just feel that personally um, you were never going to really tr- like with scientific evidence we're never really going to be truly to accept it as as absolute because you're never going to get a bunch of bodybuilders or you know people that I just described within my age group um, that want to participate in a study because they just they just don't want it you know like that often we 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 want to follow a certain way of training that is maybe perhaps given to us from an experienced individual who's done it in practice rather than something like a scientist who's just said ah we've taken this protocol from this book um when that that protocol might not be applicable to you because let's face it programming can be so it can be so individual um, and it should be there's no one size fits all approach in regards to exercise selection and, and how you actually perform an exercise based on your own mechanics. Um, so then that that being said, that you don't want to follow a, a you know a cookie cutter program in itself. Um, so I always say personally, for me, um, I don't feel any of the um, sort of scientific studies um, that are mostly relying on those sort of participant groups are applicable. Um, in the in the bodybuilding bodybuilding community, um, and I've just come up with a, with a method that works for me, and, and a method that's worked for my clients. Taking little bits from different methods of training, such as um, obviously training the failure, but on incorporating into that some metabolic stuff through whether it's rest, pause, widowmaker sets, drop sets, um, and just finding a way that, that that kind of works. It's just it's just a system. Other people out there will have a system that that works for them, 
And again, if if you are just sort of new into this sort of game, you have to decide which system works for you. I just think that um, the train to failure just makes you feel like an absolute beast, and it's something that I truly would, uh, I truly would recommend. Um, if you go watch um, any of my videos, um, you know, scroll back to 20, 2016, uh, that's what you'll see. Is you'll see. Um, you'll see me train to failure. I think there are times where I won't. Um, for example, uh, let's say we're four, five, six weeks out from a show. Um, food is not that high. Body fat is quite low. Um, those sort of forced repetitions. So I guess forced repetitions and mechanical failure are a little bit different. But I won't go for forced repetitions in those last few reps because it'll just, it'll just cause a little bit of muscle wastage. Um, however, in a calorie surplus where food's high, we're feeling good, recovering well. Fucking right, I'm going for those extra reps, and, and I would encourage you to, I encourage you to do so. So I mean, like in summary, you could say that, like from from this whole episode, you could just say that training the failure, um, in my opinion, is going to elicit a greater response on that muscle building pathway than than training submaximally. If the goal was to gain as much muscle mass um, as, as as possible, um, as humanly possible, then of course you would need a combination of. Or both, uh, but if it's, ju- if it's just to gain, you know, muscle mass up to a certain point, um, and you don't want to be the biggest person on the planet, I, I, I honestly feel it'd be wise to train in such manner. Um, but it's not to say it's the only way that elicits um, elicit muscle growth. And you know, the the, the majority of old school um, bodybuilders and current bodybuilders, the, the pros, they'll show you that. Um, so it's kind of going to fall down to the individual um, and the personal pref- personal preference on which uh, which method uh, you prefer. So, like guys, I hope that that um, that helps. Um, if if there is any sort of questions, um, const- you know, that you've got, and even ones that are constructive, um, I would welcome them, and, and I would always say that my DMs are are always open for um, for anyone that is anyone that is looking to have a good conversation um if you, if you just want to be a prick and you want to try and like call me out or this out the next thing you, you won't even get a reply and many people of the years have tried um i just don't really allow any sort of negativity or anything that's going to take away my focus on doing what i need to do um if 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 i see that i just i just blunt out and that's just kind of how i live life if you don't know me um i'm not too materialistic and um, I don't let any. I have a social circle, and if anyone out with that tries to give me their, an opinion, uh, I, I do not let it affect me. Um, I will more likely just brush it off, smile, and thank you. However, I, I will hold my hands up and say I did not used to be like that. I used to take every everything personally. Um, I you know I'd have an argument with someone on Instagram years and years ago who you know other side of the world. I had no idea who they were, um, whereas now I'm just like right. I'm not going to put the time into having that sort of kind of quote unquote argument or discussion. I'm just going to, I'm just going to cut it. But I, I, lo- I love to have the conversation where people actually want to hear an opinion, a justification of something, and then they, they give real good, valuable input back. And I love that. And, and there's many coaches out there who we will have um, different opinions on, on certain topics, but at the same time, a huge level of respect for each other because we know that there's no right or wrong. There's only effective or ineffective. And I think when you buy into that, um, the bodybuilding world is a is a lot nicer place. 
you know, rather than be in one camp where in that camp you actively look for holes in other camps and say, no, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Why not just, why not just be in the middle? Sometimes visit one camp, another time visit another. Sometimes just get the benefits from both. So listen guys, I hope that helps in regards to the thoughts behind why why I train the failure, why my clients do, and maybe perhaps why you should consider it versus a higher volume approach. Um, if you have any questions, as always, let me know. But wherever you are, whatever you do, give it the beans.